You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. On one occasion when I had a work trip, I, I was trying to get out on the road, but I woke up late and... I got four kids, all right? So getting out the door is always a challenge. I know I got a witness in here. That's my excuse for everything. I got four kids. Why don't you take out the trash? I got four kids. I got four kids and I woke up late. So I got out on the road and and I was, was, you know, doing what they call making good time, which is also known as speeding. I'm out on the highway. I'm making good time. And I come up, I get into North Kakalaki and, 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 I, and I see this construction site and I'm blazing and all of a sudden I see this sign and it says, slow down, my daddy works here. And I was like, oh, I felt guilty because my dad worked for the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation and I imagined for a moment what it would be like if, if I were to have my dad get into a situation because someone else was speeding. But then I quickly snapped out of it. I was like, they're just trying to guilt trip me. That's, that's all they're trying to do. They're trying to guilt trip me off in here. So I continue to make good time. <laughs> and I'm blazing. And I get up to the next construction site. And it says, slow down. My daddy works here. And I literally said out loud in the car, oh, y'all can't guilt trip me into slowing down. And y'all think you're going, woo, 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 woo. I look in my rear view. And there's red and blue lights. Now, the police officer comes up to my window, and he says, sir, do you know how fast you were going? I said, officer, you see, I I got four kids, and and I woke up late, and I started telling him my sad song, and he just listened real understanding like, and he says, okay, Mr. Whitfield, I'll be right back. He goes back to his car. I'm thinking, you know, I might be all right here. You know, I'm like, I said, grace, grace, God's grace. He comes back with a ticket and tells me to have a good day. Now. As I was driving off, a a, a thought occurred to me. I had successfully dealt with the feelings of guilt, but I had not dealt with the reality of my guilt. My guilt wasn't just a subjective emotion or a feeling to overcome. It was an objective reality that I would have to deal with. Now listen, modern therapeutic approaches to life tell us that guilt is basically a negative emotion that we have to overcome and it can be managed by psychological methods. In a modern culture, every problem is reduced to a technical problem. And if we can just come up with the right techniques, we can deal with it. And our guilt is one of those problems. It's a negative feeling. It's a negative emotion. And through psychological methodologies, we can deal with our guilt. But this is actually one of the places where you can see the distinctiveness of the Christian faith. Because the Christian faith teaches that guilt is not just a subjective feeling or emotion. It's an objective reality, a status. Guilt is basically the result of failing in our responsibilities toward God and our neighbor. Guilt is not just the bad feeling, slow down, my daddy works here. Guilt is also the the ticket that is given to you. Now, here's the question for us this morning. What, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? How is it that you handle it when 
you experience guilt. How are we supposed to think about this from a Christian vantage point? We're in a short series uh, on the purpose for Jesus dying. Why did Jesus come to die? And this morning, I am going to hit the theme, no condemnation. Why did Jesus come to die? So that there would be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to approach our text through two points this morning where we see no condemnation and life transformation. No condemnation and life transformation. So let's look at our first point. No condemnation. Verse one of our text. Look at it. It says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the real impact of this statement can only be appreciated by the context. Now, we've walked through Romans before, and you know that Paul blows everybody up early on in the letter. And he shows the immoral people out there, the wild people, that they're toe up from the flow up. He shows the moral people who think that they can be moral without any religious Commitments. He shows them that they're toe up from the flow up. And then he comes around to the religious people who think through their religious performance, they can they can get on good terms with God. He said, y'all are toe up from the flow up. Conclusion. There's none righteous. No, not even one. No one's seeking for God. No one does what's right. Everyone's jacked up altogether. And then he comes and he says, but now apart from the law, there is a righteousness that comes from God that is credited to us like A technical transference of the righteousness of Christ and his taking away of our our sin and our guilt. We are rescued. But then he says this grace also transforms people. And so he gets into chapter six of Romans and he starts talking about shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? Some people might think, oh, I'm covered by grace. I'm going to go do what I want to do. Right. I'm going to live it up now. Best life now. I'm living my best life. No, no. Paul says. That's not how grace works. But then he gets into chapter seven and he starts to acknowledge a struggle that when you try to live the Christian life, what you realize is that you come into conflicts that 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 you you struggle and you and you fail to actually do it. This is what he says in chapter seven, verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, by the way, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Does anyone know what that feels like? Verses 23 through 24. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is, he's frustrated because he can't do it. He can't live it out the way he wants to. He's always in conflict with himself. And then he answers this wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then he gets into chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's important things that we need to understand before we can really get what this means to not live under condemnation. What you have to see in this text is this. Paul is not saying that there is therefore now no cause for condemnation in those 
who are in Christ Jesus. He knew that there was cause for condemnation in his life. He acknowledged as much. Do you? Do you? One brief scan of our social media accounts, our daily commutes, what's going through our minds, our, our daily use of words. If, if your thoughts from last week could be projected on a, on, on a speaker, what would you be thinking right now? Would there be cause for condemnation? Absolutely. There would be cause for condemnation. The text doesn't say there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will fail. The text doesn't say there is therefore now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will struggle. The text doesn't say there is therefore now no stumbling for those who are in Christ Jesus because we will stumble. What Paul is saying is that despite the fact that there is cause for condemnation, yet there is no condemnation, no punishment, no coming into judgment, no indictment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here we see the difference that Jesus makes. You see from this, tick, this text that you may be poor, but you're not condemned when you're in Christ Jesus. You may be tired, but you're not condemned when you're in Christ Jesus. You may feel exhausted. You may be frustrated. You may be confused, but you're not condemned when you're in Christ Jesus. You may be spitefully judged by others, but you're not spitefully judged by God when you're in Christ Jesus. You may be accused by others, but you're not accused by God when you're in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ like Noah was in the ark when the storm was raging around and he was at peace within. You're in Christ like Israel was in the blood-covered houses when the destroyer came through and could not find access to those homes because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. You're in Christ like Jonah was in the belly of the fish when he was rescued from a watery grave and put out on dry land to re-engage his calling before God. You are in Christ. And that is a difference between the Christian faith and everything else. You're not sort of saved. You're not somewhat saved. You're not 50% saved. You are saved to the uttermost. And it doesn't matter what you did, who you did it with, or how long you did it. You are saved by union with Christ. And there's nothing that anybody else can do about it. Including yourself. You can't lose it. You can't forfeit it. If you could lose it, you would. If you could forfeit it, you would. It doesn't depend on you. This is one of the best pieces of good news you could ever get. And this is why we sing when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there. Mark that. I see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied. Somebody say satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because every bit of condemnation it belongs to you was poured out on him. And he left nothing left for you except the blessings of the covenant. He took the curse. He drained it. He took the cup and he drank it so that he could give you the cup of salvation. Which is why we take this table every Sunday to experience and receive that grace afresh every week.
Here's the, the wonder of the Christian faith. Anybody can acquit the innocent. But God has figured out a way to acquit the guilty while remaining just. And that is in Christ Jesus. Anybody can get along with those who are easy to get along with. But it is a wonder beyond wonder that God has found a way not to just make us friends, but to make us family, to make us beloved, despite what we know to be true about ourselves. When our own heart condemns us, he's faithful. He's faithful. And that, that wonder in the gospel leads us to the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus died to deal with our guilt problem. And Jesus handles our guilt in an entirely different way from either our surrounding culture or religious culture. I want to I put it to you like this. Every way of life has a, an approach to getting the no condemnation tag hung over your head. And I want to look at three. The first one we could call modernity. Okay, just think modern culture the way it is after the Enlightenment, the culture that has developed since the Enlightenment. Since everyone got liberated from tradition and religion and decided that humanity was capable of dealing with the most important problems on its own, the heightened love for autonomy for skepticism and scrutinizing everything down to the very bottom. Modernity has a way of, of trying to get that no condemnation tag hung over your head. It goes like this. Modernity is the, the approach of no responsibility. Now, how do you get no condemnation? No responsibility. It aims to get rid of the feelings of guilt and leaves the reality of guilt. This, this is what happens. In a therapeutic culture, what happens is our responsibility is dissolved into prior causes. The reason why my life is like it is is because of my family of origin or my biochemistry or, or this, that, or the other thing. Now, it's helpful. What therapy has done is it has added nuance to our understanding of our humanity and the things that we wrestle with. But those things do not relieve you of responsibility. But what modern culture will do is try to use those things to relieve you of responsibility for the choices that you've made, for the bad actions that you've taken. But it leaves you with the reality of guilt. It may temporarily. That's what, what a therape therapeutic culture is all about. It is, it is the relief in the right now without respect to final ends. Immediate relief right now. Whatever subjective feelings you need to get to in order to be okay right now, without respect to the future, that's what it means to be therapeutic. Therapy's not bad. Therapy's not the problem. Our religious aspirations placed on the therapy, that's the problem. Expecting that therapy can get you all the way there. Therapy alone cannot get you to no condemnation. But not just modern culture. We also have moralism, religious culture. And the way that moralism or religious culture tries to get you to the no condemnation experience is through no inability. You can do this. You need to try harder. You need to perform the law. What 
What moralism does is it aims to get rid of the reality of guilt by leveraging the feelings of guilt. It aims to get rid of the reality of guilt by leveraging the feelings of guilt. In other words, it tries to guilt you into change that will make you okay with God. But that does not bring you into a place of no condemnation. Do you notice what the text says? What the law could not do. Weakened by the flesh. Paul says the problem isn't with the law. The problem's with us. We don't know how to work it. We don't have the ability to satisfy it. We cannot keep it. And so it cannot be a means of getting the no condemnation tag hung over our heads. But then there's the gospel. This is completely different, y'all. Modernity says, I'm going to get you that no condemnation tag by no responsibility. Moralism says, I'm going to get you the no condemnation title by no inability. But the gospel says, I'm going to get you the no condemnation tag through no separability. You cannot be separated from your union with Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees the glory and righteousness of Christ. He sees you covered by the blood of the lamb. He looks on you in delight. He looks on you with favor. All his intentions toward you are good. It is only the gospel that, get, that gets rid of the feelings of guilt by lifting the reality of guilt. You see that? It's different. The way that you get rid of the feelings of guilt is by seeing God lift the reality of your guilt. And then you begin to live up into who you are in union with Christ. That's a big difference. Only the gospel, therefore, gives you the freedom to admit who you really are and the assurance that you'll be loved anyway. The freedom to admit who you really are and, and the assurance to know that you'll be loved anyway. You can be candid without condemnation. You can be absolutely honest and absolutely embraced and beloved in union with Christ. You see in the text that the Lord doesn't condemn his people. He condemns sin. How can he do this? Jesus, Jesus, there's no double jeopardy. Look, verse three, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus in the Gospels, he says with reference to his death, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. His victory over the world and Satan is represented as a judgment executed. And judicial language is used to express it. The victory over the powers of darkness, according to Paul, is a work created by the cross of Christ, Colossians 2, 15, okay? The word to condemn is used in the New Testament in the sense of consigning to destruction. God does not consign his people to, to destruction. He consigns sin itself to destruction. What kind of power is this? That he can consign sin and death to destruction so that he doesn't have to consign us to destruction. This is the beauty of it. The condemning of sin in the flesh refers to God's judicial judgment over sin and death that drains the capacity of sin and death to drag us down to the grave. I had a mentor who put it like this. When a bee stings you, uh, what happens is that its stinger is left in the victim and it rips the guts out of the bee. Now, it may fly around for a little while looking ominous, 
but ultimately it can't sting anybody else. It just looks scary. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was stung by death. But the stinger was ripped out. He ripped the guts out of death so that it just flies around looking scary for God's people. But we know it can't sting us. Jesus has turned death into a doorman. Your last breath in this world is followed by your first breath in glory where you behold him. And as Pastor Duke said last week, that first glance upon Jesus is going to completely relativize every bit of sorrow and brokenness and hurt and woundedness you experienced in this life. That's the glory of no condemnation. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And in between, it's, it's no loss. It's no defeat. That's the glory of Jesus. And that's the difference he makes. The law can direct you. The law can expose you, but it cannot save you. Only Jesus can do that. And once he does, well, then guess what? Life transformation, which brings us to our next point. Verses three through four. Listen, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, do you see the expected connection in Paul's mind between the removal of condemnation and life transformation? Do you see it? Do you see the connection? When you live under the no condemnation way of life, that's supposed to issue in a life transformation. Jesus died not only to take away the guilt of our sin, but to break its power over our lives. When you're free from condemnation, you're set up for life transformation. He has sent his spirit to take up residence in us and to guarantee that we can and will change. Of course, when you look at your own puny power, you won't think you can change. But do you know who has taken up residence in your house? Do you know who lives with you? Do you know who empowers you? Do you know what kind of spirit resides in you? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is alive in you. He has sent his spirit to do that work of transformation. But we have to remember the spiritual adversary we face and his his little trick. He got one play in his playbook. Here's the one play in his playbook. He tells you that what God says about sin is not true. Come on. Really? Really? That's that. Everyone's doing it. It's the way of the modern world. You're, you're really going to remain celibate until you get married. Come on. It's natural to look at what you look at on the screen. Come on. It's a technological age. Of course you do this. He tells you that what God says about sin is not true. Then after you believe him, then he tells you what God says about forgiveness is not true. <laughs> you think God's going to deal with you? You think God could love someone like you? You think God is accepting people like you? So horrible, so jacked up, so selfish. I wouldn't bet on that. You might as well have as much fun as you can right now before it's all up. Because when the jig is up, he's going to smoke you. You see, he plays you. You have an evil adversary who tries to play you. And this is where we must be careful of emotional reasoning. And I mentioned this 
two weeks ago. Uh, but I want you to introduce this into your way of thinking. Emotional reasoning is a cognitive distortion. That means your mind is scrambled. It's like back when they used to have TVs with the rabbit ears and you couldn't get no signal. That's what emotional reasoning is like. All you see is no signal. In emotional reasoning, you need to understand, is when you conclude that your emotional reaction proves that something is true, regardless of the evidence that you observe. Because I feel it, it must be true. And I'm telling you, you have to be careful of emotional reasoning when you're in Christ. Because when you sin, you're going to feel guilty and you're going to feel shameful and you're going to feel like God, you feel unlovable. Therefore, God must not love you. You feel like you, you deserve it, that everyone would be against you. So God must be against you. That is emotional reasoning. And what you have to do is you have to get your emotions to follow the facts of your union with Christ and not try to build your theological facts around your feelings. That will free you. That will set you free. In Christ, you can be free from the self-condemnation because there is no condemnation. There's a focus. There's a focus in counseling at times on false guilt. And that's important. You know what guilt is? It's dropping your responsibilities. But there are times where we feel responsible for things that are not our responsibility. And we have to beware of false guilt. But we also have to beware of false innocence. False innocence. False guilt is feeling bad about wrongs you have not done. False innocence is feeling good about rights you have not done. This text invites us to own this identity. I am simultaneously a sinner and yet justified before God. At the same time. At the same time. So what's this look like when you work it out? When you know this grace and love, it makes you tender and patient with other sinful people, with other jacked up people. You don't return fire when people fire on you. You don't hang charges over others in order to try and manipulate them into change. This is important in relationships, y'all, particularly marriages. You feel aggrieved and you feel like you have the right to hold condemnation over somebody and to continue to grave dig all of their past failures when God never does anything like that to you. Never. Do not hold condemnation. Don't do it. Don't hold condemnation over your kids to try and spark change over them. There is no condemnation. And we must be the most glad to announce that over our beloved in the faith. Because it's only the no condemnation identity that will result in real transformation. You want to see them change? Help them to work out what it means to have no condemnation over their lives. We should be a little taste in the Christian community of the no condemnation verdict that we have in Jesus. Don't, don't let your ways contradict the message of Jesus that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Also, let this message recover your perceptions of God. What do you think God's like? What do you think God's doing in your life right now? How do you, what, what's his disposition toward you? What do you think his disposition toward you is right now? Is he peevish? Is he frustrated with you? Is he agitated with you? Is he, you know the sigh. Everybody here knows the sigh. The sigh of parenting. 
Listen, that might be the first thing you need to repent of with your kids when you get home. <sighs> you don't say nothing, but you said something. God never sighs over you. He sings over you. That's good news. But let it shift your motives too. the last thing I'm going to say, because I got to get over to Grace Meridian Hill. Uh, or otherwise, they're going to be doing their uh, 25th stanza just as I am. <laughs> Bless his name. Hallelujah. Here's the last thing you need to know in terms of your motivations. Christian, what motivates you? What is your motivation? This is what you need to know. You don't work for love. You work from love. You don't work for love. You work from love. You don't earn God's love. You don't warrant it. You don't perform your way into it. You don't work for it. You work from it. And you don't make other people work for your love. You let them operate from your love. Parents, toward your kids, your kids must know that they work from love in your household, not for it. Reinforce it. Prove it with your actions and your words. This is what being shaped by union with Christ in the, the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, outpouring of the Spirit, and the promised return of Jesus does for us. There is no condemnation. Let us live in the joy of this announcement over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.